This is Checked In with Splash. Hey, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of Checked In with Splash. Today, I'm joined by an event marketing guru and living Splash community legend. He is the former director of global events and field marketing for Elation, was named Planner of the Year in 2021, made Connect's 40 Under 40 list and Biz Bash's 500 list, and he is the self-proclaimed fittest man in events. Yes, folks, that's right. Today, I'm joined by none other than David Stevens, who is truly half man, half amazing. I am so excited to dig into the role that wellness can and should play in your event marketing strategy. Dave has spent his career being a champion of and really at the forefront of the intersection of wellness and events. He's recently co-authored a white paper on the topic and has a wealth of experience and knowledge to share with us about how we as marketers can really tap into wellness in order to tap into better results and increased ROI, which we're all seeking. So Dave, thank you so much for joining me today. Where are you tuning in from? I'm currently in San Francisco. Love it. You're like a stone's throw away from me here in Los Angeles. We've got a lot of ground that I'm hoping we'll cover today, Dave. So if you're willing, I say we dive right into my first question. How's that sound? Let's go. All right, let's get everyone checked in. Okay, so first, I feel like we have to address this like potential elephant in the proverbial room, right? Wellness is kind of a buzzy word these days, and it can honestly be pretty subjective. So Dave, can you please start by sharing how you define wellness and also tell us a little bit about your background in and passion just for well-being and kind of how you began this journey? Yeah, I feel like we're in a place of wellness where sustainability was like 10 years ago. There was this Mm. term that was out there called greenwashing. And it was Mm. when people were just putting like green, like, oh, we have green toxic waste okay, that's not a thing. Everything was green. Everything was green. And so the fact that we finally worked through what sustainability actually meant, I think we're kind of going through the same thing right now when it comes to wellness. And I'm going to call it health washing because there's some people who don't like to eat meat and there's there's a big push of like quit eating meat and these things. But then when you flip over a pack of Impossible Burgers, and if you choose not to eat meat, I don't judge But if you choose to not eat meat, look at the back of the thing and not just think, oh, this must be healthier because it doesn't have meat. And you see how many grams of fat are in one of those things. It changes your perspective. So I think to me, wellness is a comprehensive look at your life. It's the things that bring you joy. It's the things that make you happy. And it's not a one size fits all solution for everyone by any means. And I think one of the things that's really interesting is when we release this white paper, there's a woman who was a very high up person at Goop and she came out about (laughs) toxic wellness and the fact that people were kind of shaming people that didn't do what they thought somebody should be doing for wellness. And that's really what this is about. This is about not being exclusive and thinking about wellness on a grander scale. I love so many things that you just said. First of all, the framing of wellness around what brings you joy is, I think, pretty revolutionary. I'm sure there are some people whose relationship to wellness doesn't always spark joy. So I love that you said that. And then the other thing that you said that I think is just so key is that there's no one size fits all solution here. And so I love that you are behind this movement to one, get people talking about it and like to discover what wellness means for them. And then, of course, practically, we're going to get into our conversation in a little bit. How do we apply this to events, event marketing, marketing in general? Like, how does that all fit together? But before we go there, because I dropped it in your intro, so we got to circle back now. I have to ask Dave. Because I'm sure the listeners want to know, how did you get your fittest person in events moniker? Tell us that story. Yeah, well, I'll very openly say fittest male, fittest man in meetings and events. 
because okay. last year I got my butt handed to me by a girl in Minnesota. She outdid me in every single event. So I'm an active CrossFitter. And one of the things they do once a year is they have this thing called the CrossFit Open. And it's an online qualifier that's global. You can do it at home. You can go into a gym. Anyways, it's the same workout around the world. And that's how everybody competes to go to the CrossFit Games, which is their Olympics. And anybody can do it. Four years ago, they introduced occupational hashtags. So that they're like the fittest firefighter, the fittest police officer, the fittest doctor, the fittest, all these categories, because everyday people go and do this. And because Mm -hmm. you get to compete on this global scale, they thought it'd be fun to introduce this thing. So I jumped on and I put event prof in my profile. And the first two years, I was self-proclaimed fittest person, fittest event prof, period, because nobody had the hashtag on their profile. So the leaderboard Uh was blank, except for me. Okay. And then last year, a few other people showed up. There was another guy that showed up, and then I was able to hang on to my title. And then this last year, there was even more people that showed up, which is great. A lot of females, no surprise, with this mm-hmm. industry. I was able to best my fellow male counterpart and beat him. Okay. But there was a girl. She's a wedding planner. I reached out to her on like Instagram. I'm like, way to keep up the good work. Like You destroyed me, but wow. I don't even care. I just love to see event professionals taking care of themselves. Yes, yes, yes. Amen to that. (laughs) Man, we're going to circle back to that specific topic in a moment, but let's continue down this hole a little bit. Okay, so you're into CrossFit. So you kind of gave it away a little bit, but tell me, first of all, how did you get into CrossFit and what does it look like for Dave to stay fit these days? And I have some follow-up questions for you. Like as an event prof, like when you're traveling, when you're on the road, what are you doing to stay fit? Not to give too much away, but we may or may not be working on some workout or fitness plans for event profs that you know we're going to be tapping you to co-create that with us, Dave. Okay. Because we can make this wave happen. We can get more people onto that leaderboard, right, for the next CrossFit Open. Come and get me. (laughs) All right. So how'd you get into CrossFit? What do you do to stay fit, especially considering the madness and like chaos that can ensue when you're working in events? Yeah. Back in like 2000, I think it was 2011. So 10 years ago, I got what I thought was a dream job. We'll rewind a little bit more. In like 2006, I finally put my health as the forefront thing. I was living in another state. I was not taking care of myself. I was doing experiential marketing, things of that nature. And it just I just got sucked into the world. And I had a moment of a reset. And I started taking care of myself. And I was like, I need to really prioritize my well being. I felt better. I slept better. I performed better at work. I was like, okay, I need to make this a priority. Fast forward a few years, and I got the job running meetings, employee events and incentives at 24 hour fitness corporate. So I was like, this is dream job. They went through a transition, they decided to sell the company. But I learned a lot while I was there and planning their meetings was just was so much fun because it resonated with me and my personal life so much. Every day started with a workout every day. And if you didn't show up to the workout, like you heard about it, but they were just living their brand. They didn't think they were doing anything special. They were just doing what they do. Food and beverage was very easy because I knew what to order just off the top of my head. I knew I always had to order more than usual because some of these people that come into the office for trainings were like former division one athletes that still trained like division one athletes. And like if I ordered enough food for 35 people, when there's 35 people, some people were going to starve. So (laughs) it was usually, usually I had to order for like 50 when 35 people were there, but it was fine. You know, (laughs) so then I stuck with fitness for a while. I got introduced to CrossFit by my wife. I wasn't a big fan of CrossFit because I'd come from the traditional gym route Long story short, she's like, all right, well, just try some things with me. I did some workouts, not at a CrossFit gym, but just with her because she's a certified level one trainer. And I was sore in places that I didn't know I could be sore in. And I was like, okay, the light bulb came on. Mm -hmm. Fast forward to the pandemic. I was training at home. We had equipment at the house. It was really exciting because my meals were on point. Like everything stayed super consistent because I wasn't going anywhere. There were no excuses. There was no reason not to do what I was supposed to do. So Mm -hmm. I was able to really get on track, 
I lost a COVID-19 instead of gaining a COVID-19. Like I know a lot of people did. Oof. Not going to judge. Hats off to you. People cope different ways. I like got into a dark, painful place physically with workouts. And that's how I coped with being a caged animal. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> and then when I came back, I got introduced to something called street parking. And street parking is basically CrossFit at home. The founders, we actually just did a huge event. And for any CrossFitters that are listening, street parking did an event at this place called The Ranch, which was where the CrossFit Games originally started. So it's like the Athens or Rome of CrossFit is the Mecca. And it was with street parking. The founders of street parking are former CrossFit athletes, like professional athletes. So they started this program where each workout, and this segues into how I'm staying on top of it, is each workout is a dumbbell version, a barbell version, a odd object version, and a body weight version so that you literally have no excuse. Oh, I don't have equipment. You don't need equipment. I don't have this. You don't need it. Like whatever you want to come up with, they got you. And it's 19 bucks a month. Like, okay, well. Well, you just sold me on it. <laughs> well, so, and that's not the intention, but really the intention is if you need motivation to keep yourself going and mm-hmm. staying active, this is an easy thing. And then I, I can do it. There's been many times I've, I think during, I think it was IMAX last year. Mm-hmm. I got put in a hotel in Vegas where the gym didn't open until like 8 a.m. And I had meetings starting at 8.30. And I'm like, well, so what I I went to the bodyweight version. I did my workout in my room. I sent out some angry tweets on on Twitter. (laughs) And I was like, why don't gyms open earlier? Anyways, but I did my thing in my room. I got it done and I went about my day. So I did also go through a period where I worked at an agency and I forewent the gym for like almost a year. Mm-hmm. And I noticed the impact it had on my work. And that's when I was like, okay, I have to make this a priority because yeah. I get more done when I'm fit. For you, it is a non-negotiable. Love that. Right. Okay. So my takeaways are I need to get my butt into the next street parking event or at least sign up and join that because I'm definitely a home workout person these days. Love the gym. Never done CrossFit. So maybe I should also try classic CrossFit. But I want to start to get into how you have connected the dots between wellness and meetings and events. So I love hearing how all of this started to like kind of formulate for you. And I did do my research. I saw that you started your career in radio. So what was the transition for you in terms of like really becoming an event professional? When did you know that that was your jam? I'm already picking up on like when you saw the aha moment between like, oh, wellness and meetings and events. Yes, that makes sense to me. But like, tell us that other side of the story in terms of your journey to being a badass event professional. So I am celebrating 20 years of being a full-time event professional now. That's amazing. And I'll go on the record. I'm 42. I discovered I wanted to do this pretty early on in my career. I started my career in sales. I'm from Silicon Valley. I'm from the Bay Area. And I got sucked into tech really early. And I worked a trade show. And it really got me excited about, I was like, this is a job? You can do this? (laughs) And I had a weird journey that got me there. But I was still in sales. My first official events job, which a lot of people don't consider it an events job, but it was, is I was on the street team for... The first XFL. So before The Rock purchased it, when Vince McMahon started mm-hmm. his own football league, I had a customer for the sales job I had who had a promotional team for the San Francisco XFL team. And mm-hmm. it was nights and weekends. I was like, that seems like super fun. Like, I, I, I want to do that. I did yeah. that. I ended up getting another customer who was a radio station. Okay. I used to work for a company called Nextel doing corporate sales, the radio walkie talkie things. Uh And there was a radio station that then also, and the XFL had just gone out of business. And I went in, I had a sales meeting and it was all good. And it was at the end of the meeting, I was like, how do you guys hire for your street team? And the woman was like, what? And I was like, how do you hire? And she's like, we just hire people. She's like, I have no idea how we do it, but I'll introduce you. And so I got to know the promotions director and I got a job there and I just kind of, I was working events in the radio world while I was doing sales before leading up to the implosion of the first dot coms 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And then I was working at a radio station in 2002 when this whole thing, when it collapsed and I 
left a six-figure senior AE role and went to work for an independent alternative radio station wow. making $6.75 an hour. Ooh. And I was happy every day. That's passion. And that's just what I knew. And then I was stuck there for a little while. I was in radio. I was doing experiential marketing tours. I was doing concerts. I did MTV Spring Break. Like I got to do some really cool stuff, mm -hmm. doing NASCAR races, all kinds of fun stuff. And then I was working for a chamber of commerce running their programs and events, which is the time I spent as an association planner. And right. they had a large art and wine festival that was like 200,000 people in a weekend. So oh, wow. they needed a full-time events person. And I reached out about education and I learned about the associations, MPI, PCMA, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And I went to a couple events and the rest, as they say, is history. That kind of segued me into agency. And then I got recruited out of the agency and went into corporate. So that's the journey in a nutshell. You know what? It sounds like... Each step in your journey was truly kismet. And I love to hear the evolution of how people come to be where they are today. So thanks for giving me that background. So you've been a champion of fitness and wellness in the events industry for some time, starting off at your 24-hour fitness days. And from my perspective, I feel like you've really identified a gap, not only in the ways event marketers take care of themselves, which we're going to talk more about. I feel like we could honestly talk about that for days. But also, you've really keenly spotted this gap around wellness programming and event strategies and event marketing. And I really am hoping you can talk to me about post 24 hour fitness, right? Like how did you take and or keep this mindset of wellness as a priority, not just for yourself, but like, how did you start to weave it into what you were doing as an event professional and recognizing that this is a lane that you wanted to help carve out? When did that all start to like percolate for you? Well, as a practitioner, it's tough to do, right? Because your job isn't necessarily to dictate strategy, but your job is to execute on someone else's vision. Yeah. If you have a good manager, you can bring those ideas up and they may or may not land or whatnot. So when it really came together, I was at a brunch with a friend of mine. Her name is Ariadne, and she used to run events at Coupa. And I've known her for years. Rewind 20 years ago, she was the first intern I hired at a radio station when I started there. What? Like yeah. We've stayed friends. I love her to death. And Amazing. we're having brunch, and we were talking about, and this was probably 2018-ish, 2019. And she goes, you used to do this stuff at 24. Why doesn't everyone meet like that? And I was like, well, they can. And she's like, but they don't know how. And we're like, maybe we should mm -hmm. teach them. And that's kind of where it all started. We're like, We weren't doing anything special or groundbreaking or different. And I think I probably was complaining about the fact that I probably came back from some event where breakfast was nothing but carbs. And mm -hmm. They offered two workouts and it was running and yoga. That's it. There's no weights. There's no nothing. Like, what mm -hmm. about me? And that really is what motivates my thought process of inclusion is because there's a lot of people that go to events that want to do a different type of workout or that want to eat a different way and they're not catered to. They're omitted. And we ask for dietary restrictions, right? And do you have a gluten mm -hmm. allergy? Do you have these things? But you can never be like, yeah, I... I don't need carbs. Like I need protein at breakfast or things right. of that like that's not on there. And then right. if you write it, they all like laugh. It's like when you see someone's like, oh, I need truffle oil on everything. You're like, okay, whatever, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> do I've love seen. truffle oil. <laughs> I've seen somebody once for an incentive. They're like, I, I can only eat truffles. I was Stop. like, okay. I can't. That's Which, yeah, that's a whole nother <laughs> podcast. Crazy F&B requests. Okay, making a note, I'll invite you back for the next episode just to focus on yeah. that. But it was kind of out of necessity, if you will, because I found mm -hmm. myself and I was like, I can't be alone in this. I can't be the only one. And her and I were talking about it. She's like, why don't we teach people how they can do it and why they should do it? This is so important because a lot of people are either probably not thinking about it or, like you said, just don't know how. So speaking of teaching people, Let's talk about this white paper a little bit more. So for those who are listening, 
The white paper is titled Increase ROI by Increasing Wellness. And something that you said just now, Dave, really struck me about the importance of inclusion. And I think we'll get to talk about this, I'm sure, but like, especially post-pandemic life these days, right? Getting people to show up for your events, at least for me, it's never been harder, right? Like attrition is so unpredictable these days. And so I think what I'm picking up on from you is like, hey, there are so many ways to approach inclusion in your events. Wellness and focusing on well-being and wellness is one really key way to do that because it's really communicating to people, hey, we care. We want to know what you need to show up and we're going to deliver on that, right? So talk to me about the white paper specifically. It's clearly geared towards event marketers, which I loved, right? And as an event marketer and individually in my own life, I'm definitely an avid promoter of well-being and the importance of self-care practices, I devoured your ebook in, it felt like seconds. And I got to say, it's chock full of gems that are, it's not necessarily rocket science, but they're like, I had so many aha, like light bulb moments where I was like, ah, yes, this is so simple. Why am I not doing this? Right. And I'm really excited to personally start experimenting with a lot of the ideas and suggestions in that ebook for my own programming. But tell me how the ebook came to be, what your goals were for it, obviously to educate people on the how and the why, but what are you hoping marketers take away from it? And then we'll go into a little bit more into the white paper because, like I said, it was just so good. Like the conclusion I love. I'm just like, I could talk about it again for days. But tell us how this ebook came to be. So you like had this conversation with your former intern turned good buddy and peer. And then sometime later, you had the impetus to co-author this white paper. So talk to us a little bit more about that. Yeah, I started seeing these wellness summits happening for meetings professionals. Specifically, Preview Magazine does a thing called Meet Well Summit, which I'm fortunate to be presenting at next month. And they helped us with, they were like, look, we love this concept. I saw them promoting one, I think it was in 2021. And I emailed the editor and I was like, hey, her name is Barbara. She's amazing. I was like, look, we're really trying to bring this to the next level and not just offer fruit carbs again, and running in yoga. Like there's more to it than that. Different people need different things. And we want to dig a little deeper. And so we put together a a concept called Olympian meetings. And the idea is like meet like an Olympian. My friend is Greek. So that kind of all worked out. Mm -hmm. But it's around performance and that type of concept. Like you're going to spend all this money to bring people somewhere, or they're going to spend all this money to go somewhere, make sure that they can get as much out of it as they can. The other thing is we know executives are resistant to change. So give them the facts, give them the figures, give them the whys, why this is important. And I'll give you a personal example of why it's important when it comes to food. And I'll jump in a little bit as to how we decided to attack, break this concept down and attack it was we had an internal marketing meeting and the food didn't quite do what we we should have done when it came to the food. Okay. So then we had people that left the meeting to go get what they wanted to eat. Mm. Which lunchtime, when you're supposed to be socializing and chatting with people and getting to know your teammates and building that camaraderie and talking about things and whatever off-the-cuff conversations and ad hoc collaboration that happens during those things, those people are now omitted from because they left. So when you think about your menu, and there's been many a times that like I look at a buffet line, I'm like, I'm not going to eat this. And I leave. Ugh, yeah. And you think about what that also does mentally to that person's feelings about that event and that meeting. 100%. Like, when they come back, everyone's like, oh, where'd you go? And they're like, oh, there was nothing on the buffet line for me to eat. So I had to go somewhere else. And then that permeate, like it is a vicious cycle. So there's four of us that wrote this white paper. Okay. And the beauty of this is we all brought something different to it. There was myself, my friend Ariadne. One of our other contributors, Tanya, and 
we leveraged my wife, who's also a performance performance nutrition coach, as well as an actual medical doctor. She's an ER doc. And the reason I wanted to leverage her was not just to give us the credibility of having an MD title as one of the authors, which is great. Yeah, it doesn't hurt. <laughs> but also to really be critical and clinical about her focus was nutrition and food and beverage. Like I wanted her to dig in on the science behind what you eat and why it's important. Mm-hmm. Our friend Tanya, mindfulness is her thing. Like she's Miss Zen. She like, that's her jam. Cool. I'm the crazy fitness guy. I like to get screamed at. I want to be pouring sweat. I want to be lifting as heavy as I possibly can. I taught spin for eight years and I would just like my spin class. It was a very specific group of people that came to it. Oh, I would love to take a spin class with you, Dave. It was loud and intense and whatnot. And then Ariadne was like our kind of happy medium. She like kind of balanced us all out. She likes to hike, but she also likes to do breath work and she likes to Mm -hmm. meditate, but she also likes to eat right. So we had all these people and we, we all collaborated and pushed and pulled in different directions until we, we broke it down into three pieces and it was mindfulness, movement and meals. Mm-hmm. because those were the three things that really can make or break your attendees experience at an event. Cause that's what it all comes back to. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I love that you tie the impacts of the attendee experience to ROI and your ability to influence ROI, because that's what it's all about, right? If you are not delivering a memorable experience, or I should say more to the point, because something could be memorable, but not necessarily a positive memory, right? Like feeling like no one cared to make sure that you could have something to eat at the event. I have been on the receiving end of that feedback before where someone was like, hey, I didn't feel cared for because there was nothing that I could eat at this event. And as an event professional, that's a terrible feeling. You never want your attendees to feel that way. And it can have huge implications for ROI in the long run. So I love that this white paper is touching on all of these different topics, but really bringing them all together to explain why we as marketers need to be thinking about this. We need to be incorporating wellness in an inclusive way into our strategy and execution I'm going to give you a little bit of a curveball here because we're talking about inclusion and I am curious how accessibility has come up in your conversations. I'm going to actually also touch on the conclusion of the ebook, which is I loved this excerpt that reads. I'll, I'll read it for our listeners. Wellness isn't about being restrictive. It's actually the opposite of that. It's about giving people choices. It continues, as we return to live events, people are going to be expecting to bring more of their at-home preferences with them. First of all, I just want to say preach, amen, all the things. I think this goes back to my comment around like attrition is really hard in a post-pandemic world and How do you actually get people to show up and have a positive, memorable experience at your event, right? We don't want to make them feel alienated or excluded in any way. I think that choice and providing choices for attendees has never been more important for event marketers to think about. And on the flip side, just being a little empathetic to us event people, it's also really hard to juggle all of the expectations these days. And it can feel like a lot and it can feel really daunting sometimes. So I have two big questions for you. The first is, what would be your advice for event profs who are maybe just a little hesitant to really fully embrace this mindset shift, right? That's being required of them by attendees to really think about all of the different needs or maybe better said, all of the different choices that could be available to attendees? Like, what's your advice for those event professionals? Well, I think that's why we did the white paper. What's kind of crazy about this whole thing is we're not saying anything that's new. For a lot of people, there was this thing that used to be a mandatory in school called the presidential fitness test. Mm -hmm. And that was started in the 60s. And the reason that was started was because JFK did a study and the federal government spent millions of dollars studying the learning capabilities of fit kids. 
and the outcome was that fit kids learn better. So, and that's where the ROI comes in, right? If you give people, and this goes into event design and all of those things, right? If you set people up for success to come to your event, either they're going to feel a higher ROI and your scores are going to go up, which then justifies the whole program. Like you might have to spend a little more. And one of the things that we want to do moving forward, because while this is semi-conceptual, there's facts and figures when you look up the learnings from this federal study from back in the day, they didn't necessarily figure out, okay, well, you have to spend X amount more and then you get X increase. But they did see the improvement in test scores, which was significant. So mm-hmm. it's either the organizers or the attendee. That's what I meant when I was like, there's two outcomes. Whoever's paying for the ticket, that's the one outcome. Whoever is paying for the ticket is going to see higher return on investment. Either the attendee that paid to attend your show, you're going to see mm-hmm. higher scores. Or if it's a company internal meeting, when those higher scores come in, it blows people's minds. We averaged a 9.4 on our company kickoff. Wow. Because I did a lot of these things at that event because it was our first kickoff back. Mm-hmm. And we thought through these things. And it was met with plenty of pushback when someone's like, well, what do you mean the keynote can't be 45 minutes? Sorry. Like, Oop. we're broadcasting this online and people aren't going to pay attention online for 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. So if you think your message is that important, you need to trim it down so that people will hear it, so that they will listen. Because after a certain amount of time, they're going to start tuning out. So by bringing those things to your executives, they are going to also understand that this is their opportunity to be heard. Mm, I love that. It's almost like doing more with less, like you're actually able to accomplish more by maybe not having two hours of back-to-back keynotes and totally rethinking about the structure of your event to put in a workout class or gym time. Like, all right, we're going to take a break in the middle of the day and go move your body or something like that. So I like how you're thinking about it in terms of getting really focused on what the actual message is that needs to be delivered and then thinking through what are the impactful ways I can deliver this message and still get the results that you're looking for. Yeah. We had done our kickoff the year before online Mm -hmm. and we had just made the decision like we need to keep the format. And I said, well, then we need to keep the times. Because there was no session that was more than 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at first everyone's like, well, no, we can't do that. And I was like, we did it before. Like, why can't we do it again? There's no reason we can't. Everyone loved last year. We did like four hours a day over three days. Yeah. And I said, look, I know we're in person, but we can still use that time. These people haven't seen each other in years. Let's use that time. Let's start later in the day. Let's offer workouts in the morning. Let's give people an opportunity to interact in different ways. Let's have more breaks. Let's give people the opportunity to process what they learned. Because when you're drinking from a fire hose, right? Like you can't, you can't swallow. Like it's just berating you. And when you're berated with information, how much can you really retain? Mm -hmm. If you really want to nail down some key points that you want your employees to hear, you want your team members to hear, you want your attendees, you want to land and stick. You have to give it time to sink in. And if you're just pounding away on them, they're not going to be able to remember anything. It's all going to be a blur. So true. That is so true, Dave. Okay, so my second like big question, which I said is like a little bit of a curveball, but not really. I think it still is relevant to what we're talking about. So, all right, we already level set that wellness is very much a personal thing, right? Like what wellness means to me might be different than what it means to you exactly. Or our ideas of how we want to practice wellness. I love the word practice or like the framing of putting something into practice, right? Is like always the most effective way for me to think through things. So people practice wellness differently. I think you just hit on something really important. People learn differently, right? They consume information differently and process information differently. So this kind of goes back to what I kind of just touched on for a second. What about has any accessibility issues come up for you that you've had to see either like pre-pandemic or like post-pandemic? Because 
for me, in a way, you know, everyone's talking about accessibility these days too, right? Like inclusion, accessibility, your events have to be inclusive. They have to be accessible to people in a fair way, in an equitable way. So I love that going back to the conclusion of the white paper, this idea of wellness is not meant to be restrictive. And I think that people have sometimes these preconceived notions of what it means to bring wellness into your events. And maybe there's hesitation around not being as accessible to everyone always. So I'm curious, like just in your experience, has that come up for you at all? How have you navigated that? Is it just that you're offering like different choices for people based on their different needs and or like what they can or are able to do? Or I'm just just curious, if you've seen that be a big issue, if you feel like it might become more of an issue is hopefully more event practitioners bring wellness into their events. And I also, again, I think like accessibility applies to how people are learning and consuming content at an event or a meeting. I'm just curious if that's come up for you at all. I can't say it really has, but I think one of the reasons it hasn't is because it is about choices. It's about options. Mm -hmm. It's about not mandating anything. Yeah. Use case example I'll use is, you know, we started at 10 o'clock in the morning. So that gave people time in the morning. And then we offered certain things. We offered a meditation class. We offered a yoga class and we offered a boot camp class. Mm. And one of the things that has always really impressed me about CrossFit is CrossFit has a adaptive category where these people that are just superhumans do things that you're like, oh, I have everything. Like, what's wrong with me? Yeah. Or that time is set aside and there's nothing else happening during that time. Mm -hmm. So if someone doesn't want to do those things, they still have an opportunity to do the option of their choice. The other thing is like, we got the gym to open an hour early because once again, they opened late. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. no, we have people coming from Europe. They're going to be up at four o'clock in the morning Like I'm good with them waiting till six, but like, come on, like we got to open the, you can't open the gym at eight o'clock when our session is going to start at 10. That's cutting a little too close. So we got the gym to open up early so they could go do what they wanted. Some people were like, Hey, I want to go on a run. And so they got on the Slack channel and was like, Hey, we're going to go on a run at this time, blah, blah, blah. We're going to go this far. And they Mm self-organized. When you start giving people options, that's where the sweet spot is at because then people get to pick their own adventure. When it came to food, we would, on our breaks, we basically kind of had two tracks where it was like, you can go get a candy bar or you can get a piece of whole fruit or you can get a protein bar or you can get jerky. Or by giving people options, it gives them the opportunity to participate in the way that they want to participate, which then gets them to buy into what's happening on a grander scale because they're not thinking about, oh, I'm hungry. I need to go find something or, oh, they forgot about me or does this company even care or those kinds of things because they get to attend the conference in the way that they want to be a part of it. And thinking through those mobility things and giving people an option for whatever they're comfortable with. We make sure the instructors we hire come in and are comfortable with if somebody has limitations, they know how to customize it or scale it to their ability. Like we're not like, okay, workout today is doing handstand walks and everyone's like, well, I can't do that. And that's the other reason why we don't use any equipment in our workouts, because then it's just up to that person and their mind. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm hearing again, options, choices, and it, there's no one size fits all. So you have to have the options and choices. Okay, we're hammering this point home, but it's clearly an important one. And I'm over here taking notes because you're dropping a lot of gems on us today. So I want to make sure I'm, I'm capturing everything for myself. I mean, selfishly for our listeners too, of course, but also for myself. Okay. So I was going to ask you about, we've been focused on attendees today, but Is there anything else you might want to add for event marketers or event professionals who are traveling a ton? And, you know, we've got one of the most stressful jobs. I don't think people understand. Anyone outside of our industry, I don't think has a clue. I think sometimes they think that all we, I don't know what they think we do, like plan a little dinner party or something and fingers crossed people show up. There's so much work that goes into what we do every day. So You shared with us a little bit about how you stay physically and mentally 
well, right? But is there anything else that you might add, maybe for someone who was at that point you were at before this became a priority for you? Anyone who's listening in, who's maybe at their tipping point, and they know a change is needed, but you know, us humans, it's hard to change. It's hard to really lean into that. Anything else that you would add for someone at that point in their journey to give them that little push over the edge to come over to our side a bit more? There's an analogy I've heard many times, and it applies so often. I think it really fits us because our job is basically to take care of everyone else. Mm -hmm. And by the way, I've had my stressful job checked a few times by my wife when she's like, oh, how many people died? And I was like, oh, yep. Okay. All right. Um, But that's, you know, (laughs) okay. I'm like, it doesn't matter. It's even worse because they're alive and they can still complain about it. If they were dead, I wouldn't have to hear them complain about it. Anyways, (laughs) but a cracked jar can't fill others. Our job that we pride ourselves on and why we are consider ourselves part of the hospitality business is because our job is to take care of others. Our job is to cater to others. Our job is to make sure other people's needs, wants, desires, expectations are met, exceeded, and blown out of the water, right? Surprise and delight, that's our thing. Like We love to catch people off guard in all the right ways. You can't do that if you're broken. It's like the oxygen mask. You got to put yours on before you can help other people. And that's the thing. Right now, we are frantically running around the plane. Like if there was an event planner on a plane that was going down and the oxygen masks deployed, they would be up making sure everyone else has their mask on before they put their own on. Absolutely. That's what we're not doing. We aren't prioritizing our own needs that when you do, it actually increases your ability to take care of others. I just need to pause for a moment and let that sink in for myself and for our listeners. I feel like this was a very timely reminder for me personally, Dave. I'll be real moment. I've been struggling to keep up with my own wellness practice. And just this week, I got back into working out and it felt so good to move my body and to your point, prioritize taking care of myself so that I can show up for my teammates, for our company, and for our community members who I'm planning events for. <sighs> okay. There's so- a thing that I, we, mm-hmm. we, I just saw, and it was around CrossFit kids. I mean, the thing I really like is there's a lot of philosophical parts of CrossFit that I enjoy that intense movement actually releases a neurotropic in your brain that helps with memory and that helps with learning. So they've started doing things, you know, like kids used to have recess. Well, there's mm-hmm. a reason why you want kids to go run around and get their heart rates up and have fun and whatever. Because it wow. actually, when they came back into the classroom, they learned. So if you aren't doing that for yourself, you are doing yourself a disservice. You're doing your team a disservice because you aren't as sharp as you could be. And why would you do that to yourself? I mean, seriously, why? Whew, okay. You're sabotaging yourself. You are. All right. We're coming close to the end of our time. So I want to get, I'm trying to get as much juice squeezed out of you today as possible. So Dave, let's make it super easy for anyone listening in today to take action after tuning into this episode. What are two to three things, you make up the number, maybe it's five, I don't know, that event profs should start doing today? Like waste no more time, start doing it today to lean into wellness and increase their meeting and event ROI. The first thing, take care of yourself. Figure out what motivates you. Figure out what works in your schedule. Carve out time in your calendar if you have to. Block out an hour a day. Look, we're adults. We own our lives. I understand agency people will be like, well, we're at the mercy of our clients and things that like, but look, there's some point in the day that you can own. Mm-hmm. block that time on your calendar and do something for you, whether it's the middle of the day, the beginning of the day, the end of the day, whether it's meditation, whether it's Zumba, whether it's going for a walk, just do something to take care of yourself. That's priority number one. Put your mask on before you help others. Okay. I think the number two thing is have intent with your event design. If you're intentful with your event design and you think about your attendee experience, 
you're going to work through these things. You're going to think about, okay, when people show up, are they going to have time to do their email or is our agenda nonstop? Think about what your keynote is about. Potentially. I went to a, an event, an industry event, and <laughs> the keynote speaker literally talked about taking breaks and making sure that you had time to process things and these great things. We went out of that keynote session into like speed meetings. And I was like, what are we doing? You just literally contradicted yourself. So I think the number two thing is really think through your content, be intentional about your event design. And then I guess the third thing is think about attendee experience. I think two and three kind of go together, Mm -hmm. but think through that so that you know what that attendee journey is going to be like, so that you can think through the things that they would want Mm -hmm. to help them be present. Yes. Okay. Those were all really good nuggets. Two last questions, and then I will let you go. What's one thing? I'm sure you can think of more than one thing, but like, what's one thing event profs absolutely should stop doing? Or maybe better said, what's a mindset or an attitude that we should just leave behind immediately? Putting everyone else first. Mm. I mean, it's going to sound a little selfish at first, but it goes back to point number one on the other thing. Like, you got to put your mask on first. Still, we don't do it. And if you're on the hotel side of things, please show us you love us by offering us protein. Like, (laughs) I don't need stuffed French toast. (laughs) Yes, it would be great. But like when it's week three on the road, I can't live that way. So Yeah. yeah, put your mask on first. Speak up. If you want something different, say it. But look out for you because nobody else is going to. I love that. Okay. Last, last, last question. Thinking to the future. What are some of your like hopes for how the future of events and what's next for our industry, thinking and keeping wellness in mind? What gets you excited? Or maybe do you foresee like any big disruptors, maybe positive or negative that could impact the role of wellness in events? Yeah, I think there's a current thought process that it's too expensive. It's too much work. It takes too much to do it. When it really doesn't, I mean, we did a boot camp in a room that had nothing. It was just an empty ballroom. There was no equipment. There was nothing. The instructor brought a Bluetooth speaker. And I will offer a hack. Give me all the hacks. This is how I staff my wellness workouts. I call a local CrossFit gym and I say, hey, we're having a meeting. I need an instructor for this many days at this time to come in and teach a bodyweight boot camp class. And I'm going to pay X. I normally offer 100 bucks. Most Group X instructors make maybe 20% of that. So they go, oh, okay. I'm going to send you the best person I have because they want to take care of that person, right? They have someone great on their staff. They want to give them the love. They want to give them some extra money. Great. And then I usually go, do you guys do yoga there? And they say yes or no. And if they Mm -hmm. say no, they're like, no, but I know someone. They always know someone. I mean, (laughs) these are community gyms, right? They're local in the community. And the one, you're supporting a small business. Two, there's no T&E. So Love that. then they bring Budget in the friendly. yoga person. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. They bring in the yoga person for the same price. Okay, cool. You got two out of three. Who always knows someone who can do meditation or mindfulness or breath work? The yoga person. Do yep. they do it? They might do it themselves. If not, they know someone. And you're paying a premium to people who don't usually get that kind of money. Mm-hmm. They find the best person they can. And... I would love to see every thing, every, every event, every PCMA site, MPI, et cetera, offer something more than just running in yoga. Yeah. Sometimes they're starting to do some, some other things. I left IMAX out because I might be leading a class at IMAX. Ooh, exciting. Little teaser. Little tease. Yeah. But yeah, there's easy ways to do this. You just have to care enough. And I would love to start seeing that. I want to see health and wellness become the norm for event professionals. Mm-hmm. That's what excites me the most because if we're doing it, we're going to push it out. Yep. That's why I do it at my meetings. And that's why when we first talked about this, we're like, do we try to go to market? Do we start an agency? Do we blah, blah, blah. And while the rest of the team is ready and available, if, if people need help, my goal was to start speaking to my peers and telling them why taking care of themselves is important because when they take care of themselves, they're going to put on better programs 
And I know by default, they're going to start introducing these things. And that's what's going to drive the real change. Oh my gosh, Dave, you got me so fired up. I'm like, I'm ready to join you and start the wellness revolution in the events industry. You've got my support. By the way, hold on. I got one more thing. Oh, please. Splash taught me something since this is Splash, right? I'm going to plug the Splash. It was probably, I don't know if it was mid-2020, late 2020, early 2021. I don't know. But they were doing a thing before they would start meetings because, you know, Zooms were happening, boom, 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 oh, boom, yeah. boom, where everyone would stand up mm-hmm. and they do the five, four, three, two, one thing. Yep. Now, I'm going to do that in the room when I speak next month and I'm going to give you guys all the love in the world because it was like, it takes what, 45 to 60 seconds. Yep. And it puts everyone in a different mindset. They get checked out a little bit, then they check back in, they reset and that's why we built those three pillars, right? About movement, mindfulness, and meals, because you need all those things to work together. And that little reset, I'll let you save for another time to introduce people to, that resonated with me and I've used it a lot of times. So thank you for that. Oh my gosh. I love that. Thank you for sharing. And thank you for the credit and the shout out to Splash. Dave, you're the best. You're just the absolute best. I am such a fan. Thank you so much for joining us today, dropping all the gems, sharing all of your knowledge with us. You gave us so many actionable tips that people can start to use today, tomorrow, and hopefully going forward into the future. So for folks who've tuned in today and found this episode helpful, I'm sure there's more where that came from. So Dave, what's the best way for them to follow your journey, stay connected with you and all that you're working on here? Because I am going to definitely stay checked in with what you're working on, but how can others do the same? On everything, I'm at David T, as in Takashi Stevens. So David T. Stevens, and I'm on LinkedIn. LinkedIn's my primary, my Instagram's fairly personal. I mean, in the sense that like, I don't put a lot of work stuff on there, but I still post. Mm -hmm. And then I'll get you over the link to the white paper so that uh, if people want to read it, they can. Yeah, we will for sure include the link to the white paper in the show notes for this podcast episode. So folks, if you've tuned in, whatever your preferred podcast platform is, give us a follow, turn on alerts so you can never miss another episode and stay checked in all the time with the best of the best in the marketing game. That's it for today, Dave. Again, thank you so much. And we'll see you next time. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. 